morning again. Moms, I want to say to you from the beginning here, I hope that you feel honored today. Sincerely and truly honored. Whether you're a young mom or a single mom, a supported mom, a mom that feels alone, an older mom, a mom who wishes to be a mom, we love you. I want this time to be a blessing to you. Two years ago, in the beginning of In the beginning of COVID, I preached a Mother's Day sermon where I said again and again, you're a good mom. And I hope you feel that today. I want to say this as well as it pertains to the sermon today, whether you are a mother of children or you are nurturing, caring for, or teaching young people, you are filling a motherly role within the family of God. And that's a blessing. We so desire for our children to grow up and call Jesus their king, for them to live in light of his kingdom. The motherly role is so important to that end. And so this morning, as we continue to consider living in light of resurrection, I want us to look at some women in the book of Acts. What are some characteristics we see in them that will benefit the family of God? And so men and youth, this is for you as well, whether it means you learn how to better honor those who fulfill this vital role, lifting them up with words and deeds, or growing to reflect the characteristics we see in these women, this is for you just as much as it is for anyone. And so let's look at some text together and some examples of it. Now, we usually have one extended text that we read at the beginning. This week, we're going to be spread out with a handful of texts. And so I want to begin with Matthew 23, verse 37, that says this, So Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Now, I know this is Jesus, fully aware of who said that. It's not a woman. I get that, but I want to start here for two reasons. First is this, to remind us that these characteristics that we are honoring today, ones we see in so many here who are mothers, are not feminine characteristics. They're loving characteristics. They're loving it's what love looks like, not what femininity looks like. And second, if this is Jesus' disposition even to his in enemies, a motherly, loving disposition, then how much more for us, his children? For you, moms, Christ is the ultimate example of the qualities we see in the texts Today And so the first woman that I want to look at is found in Acts chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 42. Acts 9, beginning with verse 36. 
Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Now, what can we learn from this woman, Tabitha, as it relates to living in light of resurrection and mothering in the family of God? First, let me say this. I know that we cannot know for sure that Tabitha was a mother. We don't know. And that's okay. That's true of another example as well. But we do know that she exemplifies godliness. She exemplifies a life lived in light of resurrection. She exemplifies mothering in the family of God. How? Well, first of all, it says that she is full of good works and acts of charity. Moms, if you desire to live in light of resurrection, women, if you desire to live in light of resurrection, mothering in the family of God, seek this with your whole heart. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Mothering in the family of God should be full of good works. You were created and then saved for that. We were created and saved for that. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we're to live in light of resurrection, we should live in light of good works and acts of charity. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things you may abound in every good work. Now that, that is specifically speaking of giving financially. But you think of the women who followed Jesus throughout His life on earth, His ministry on earth, and supported His ministry. Think about those women Yet, Jesus could have created money from nothing. He put a coin in a fish. Right? He, he could have created money from nothing. He 
It could have caused the money just to be there, but he didn't. He was blessed with women, these disciples who cared for him. These followers who cared for him. If you desire to live a life in light of resurrection, seek to be like Tabitha. She was a woman who was so influential as a disciple of Jesus that when she died, people literally begged that she would be raised. Live that way. In light of resurrection, live a life that people want to have back because how it impacted them and how it impacted the kingdom of God. And she was raised. That's the craziest thing. She was raised from the dead. Peter prays and she wakes up. She experienced physical resurrection from the dead. But listen, as incredible as it was for her to die and be raised, the most significant resurrection for Tabitha is the same as it is for us. And it was that resurrection that caused her to be full of good works and acts of charity. It's the resurrection of Jesus that was most important to Tabitha. But I want us to notice something. Tabitha is a woman in Scripture who is defined by one thing as a woman. Disciple. It's the only thing that defines her in the Scriptures. Not by her marital status. Not by her family. Not by a job or whether she stayed at home or didn't. Not by any other thing than disciple. Be a disciple. First and foremost in your life, be a disciple. Be known as a disciple. Next, I want to go to Acts 16, beginning with verse 11. Reading through verse 15. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia come from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia. See a few things about Lydia. In verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. First, we, we see that she worked. She was a seller of purple goods. And this is important, I think. Some of you may 
feel like you're less of a mom or not as good of a mother or wife or whatever else because you choose to work. Please don't think that. I want you to consider the text of the excellent wife in Proverbs 31. Now, I'm not a woman, but I imagine you read that text and it's daunting. It's daunting, I'm certain. But I want, to, I want you to think about the text. If there were no gender identification in that text at all, no way to know if you were speaking of a woman or a man in that text, you would absolutely assume that the person being spoken of was a full-time farmer plus maker and seller of goods. And that's, that's what it literally says. I mean, she works with her hands, she goes out in the field, she plants, she provides food, she uh, makes uh, garments, she sells garments in the city, she's known in the city. That's the, what, what is described there is a full-time job. So please know that living in light of resurrection and mothering in the family of God can include working. We also see that Lydia was a worshiper of God. Now, this is a situation where she was not yet a follower of Jesus because she didn't yet know about his life, death, and resurrection, but she genuinely was seeking after God. And just, just to give you an, an idea, this is, this is early, early, early in the church age. And there are people who are from Jewish backgrounds who were worshipers of God who would worship genuinely and faithfully, but didn't know that the Messiah that they hoped for had actually come yet. They didn't know the truth yet about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But she's genuinely seeking after God. And the Lord, in His grace, it says, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she believed. She was a worshiper of God and a follower now of Jesus, and she obeyed Jesus and was baptized. Not only that, she was hospitable, it says. She urges the apostles to come and stay with her, and it says she prevailed upon them. Come and stay in my home. She's one that welcomes others. I know many of you excel in this, and it is a beautiful thing. So moms, seek the Lord in this. Be a worshiper of God. Be a follower of Jesus. Seek to be hospitable to others. Next, go ahead and turn a couple pages there to Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. So they were tent makers by trade. 
And we reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now here in Acts 18, Paul encounters and we encounter a husband and wife. Priscilla is the wife, Aquila is the husband. And there are a few things we can learn from Priscilla, the wife. First, like Lydia, it says she worked. She and her husband were tent makers. That's the thing that that drew Paul to stay with them and to work with them because he too was a tent maker. Also, it says they were followers of Christ. Priscilla, like Lydia, was hospitable. She welcomed Paul into their home. But there are a few more things that are wonderful evidences of life lived in light of resurrection for Priscilla. Priscilla, we learn, was missions-minded. In Acts 18, verse 18, it says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila go with him to continue on his missionary journey. Later, we see in Romans 16, you don't have to turn there, verses 3 through 5, it says, Priscilla and Aquila, that's Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So consider those words from the Apostle Paul. Priscilla lived in light of resurrection, mothering in the family of God. She was a fellow worker with the Apostle Paul and says that she and her husband risked their neck for his life. That's what Paul says. And not only that, the church met in their home. The church there met in their home. It's a beautiful picture of life lived for life lived in light of resurrection. And still there's another important thing about Priscilla. Priscilla was knowledgeable and able to teach and disciple. Priscilla was knowledgeable and able to teach and disciple. In Acts 18, we're introduced to a guy named Apollos, who becomes a thing later on. He's mentioned in 1 Corinthians. He's with Paul. He's a great, great speaker and evangelist. And it says that he was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. And then look at verse 25. Let's start with 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, this means that Apollos knew of Jesus, but was not fully aware. He wasn't teaching accurately the gospel message in some way. He certainly knew of Jesus' life and teachings, but may not have known about his death and resurrection. 
And so Priscilla and Aquila heard him and pulled him aside. He began to speak, verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they hear him, they pull him aside, they explain to him the way of God more accurately. Now, now listen, okay? In most of the places that they are mentioned, there's six places that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned. In almost all of those places, Priscilla, the wife, is mentioned first. That is not normal. It's a very uncommon thing in a culture where men were first, always first, for a woman to be mentioned before a man, for a wife be mentioned before her husband. But four out of the six times, the wife is listed before the husband. So there's something to this. There's not enough to make any conclusions, but enough to say that Priscilla was significant here. She's very much a part of the teaching and discipling that is happening with Apollos, as well as the other things that Paul mentions here and in Romans. So sisters and moms have confidence in the gospel of Jesus. Have confidence in the gospel of Jesus. Life lived in light of resurrection is a life of discipleship. It's a life of teaching the gospel. Mothering in the family of God is discipleship and teaching. Mothering in the family of God is what we see in these women, discipling, encouraging, teaching, gathering, bringing people together. Mothers, seek the Lord in these things. Seek to live in light of resurrection, mothering in the family of God. Be an encourager. Be one who speaks the truth in circumstances. Be one who knows the truth. Before we look at the last example I want to give, I want to say here to all of you moms, not one example we just looked at was perfect. And not a single one of them thought they were perfect. That is not at all the calling. In fact, if you hold these women that we've looked at up together, they're different. Not all of them have all of the same qualities and characteristics. Not all of them could walk up to Apollos and say, hey, bro, you're not actually teaching the gospel accurately. Not all of them could necessarily do that. Not all of them were the same. And they weren't perfect. Most days you might feel a whole lot less than perfect. Some days like you can barely keep it together. Maybe like things are falling apart. I want to say to you, Jesus loves you and desires you. Exactly as you are. Jesus desires you exactly as you are. 
consider the text that I read first, Matthew 23, 37. I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. If they had what? If they'd been perfect? If they had it figured out? No. If they were willing. If they were willing. If they had come. So I would encourage you, just come to him the way that you are, the kind of mom that you are, just come to him. Let me look at one more text, not as an example of mothering in the family of God, but to all of us, how the church cares for mothers, whether widows, single women, mothers who have lost children, all mothers. How should the church care for mothers. How do we care for them? Acts chapter 6. Just the first two verses. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now in the text, just in the first verse there, there's a group of widows. And this text is one that we're familiar with is significant because of what happens after this. It's a picture of where we first see the ministry of uh, deacons and, and really the distinction between the, the ministry of elders and deacons in the New Testament and in the church. But I want us to consider what's happening here and these widows. Now first, please notice something, okay? It doesn't say that the widows complained, Right? It doesn't say that. It says that their people did. That their people complained on their behalf. The Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So here's what's happening. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. And then you have the Hebrews who are native Palestinian Jews who spoke Aramaic and had attended the Hebrew-speaking synagogues. You have these two different groups, and these Hebrews were overlooking the Hellenist widows when they were distributing food. Those who, who were in need would receive food. Now, that's not at all to say this was intentional. If you read from... Acts chapter 2 up through Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, you'll see it has got to be overwhelming. I mean, day after day after day, people are coming to Jesus, thousands of people. You have a church that starts with 120, and now it's in the thousands at this point, okay? This is crazy 
explosion of people and you have these apostles who are trying to care for the needs and it had to have gotten out of hand. So at no point should we read this and say, well, you know, those Hebrews, they're like, this is probably accidental. It's possibly accidental. They're just overlooked. The provisions are being made for those in need, but these widows are left out. I want to say here, okay, division in the church is bad. It's not good. Turmoil is bad. And I want to be honest here. Complaining in the church is really, really hard. But listen, if you are going to complain, make it about the well-being of those in need. That's what's happening here. There's complaint. Complaining is happening. But they are rising up for theirs who are in need. Those who are being forgotten. Those who are being marginalized. Those who are being left out. Those who need cared for are not being cared for. And so they rise up and they complain. If you're going to complain in church, do that. Make it about that. You want to know how to care for mothers in the church? This way. Make sure they're being cared for. Make sure that they're not forgotten. Make sure that their needs are being met. And if they aren't, that's something to complain about. Moms, we love you. Those of you who are mothering in the family of God, we're grateful for you. In light of resurrection, seek these things. Seek good works. Seek acts of charity. Seek encouragement. Seek discipleship. Seek teaching. Seek hospitality. Gathering and bringing people together. Seek to be known as a disciple. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. Each and every time we do this, we we seek to remind you that we are doing this purposefully to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what Paul says to us. Each time you take the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we prepare to do that, I want to encourage you don't yet know Christ, if you, wouldn't, if you wouldn't be known as a disciple of Jesus, I would encourage you today to trust in Him. He's good. And he does good. He gave His life as a ransom for any and all who would come. It's Jesus who said, if you would come, I would gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. He says that to his enemies in Matthew. He says that to you. And so if you've been walking against or away from the Lord and the truth of the gospel of Jesus, I encourage you to turn and run to him knowing that he will receive you and welcome you and trust in him as your savior. These Things that you see people come and take, the bread and the cup, 
known about communion maybe your whole life. They're just symbols. They're symbols that remind us of the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so they do nothing for you apart from salvation. They can in no way save you. And so run to Jesus. Don't run to these tables. Run to Jesus today. If you do know him, I would encourage you. Remember, our Lord and Savior died for us. He gave his life for us, and it is a joy that we can proclaim this each and every week. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, I want to thank you for the women that you've entrusted to this church, to this body, the mothers that you have entrusted to us, the gift that is, Lord, to see so many of them, the wisdom that they've been given by you, knowledge of your word, the love that they have for you, for their children, for others, the grace that they display, patience, kindness. You're so good to give us, Lord, to give me examples of those qualities of disciple to see. Thank you, Lord. I pray for each of them, Lord. If there's discouragement, Lord, I pray that they would know and, and feel the love that you have for them. If there's delight and rejoicing at this season of mothering, Lord, I praise you for that and pray that it would increase. If there's difficulty, pray that you give wisdom to them to know how to discern and, and to teach. Lord, that as they seek to instruct their children, that they remember the impact that Timothy's mother and grandmother had on his life. That their continued faithfulness of giving the truth to their children, Lord, would be profitable. Thank you, Lord, for faithfulness and mothering here, Father. Pray that you be glorified throughout their lives. That you would help us as a church to build them up, protect them, strengthen them, make certain their needs are met, that they're being cared for, Lord. And mostly, Lord, that they're not forgotten. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.